inner peace is the ultimate source of happiness. Because your view is insane. Many paths to what you call God. Atheism itself is a kind of fantasy world. And the God of the universe wants to live in you. God hates you. 11 people have been confirmed dead. Let's stop the killing and choose peace. Blow them all away in the name of the Lord. That was the only form of Christianity I knew existed, and I knew I didn't like it. Hi, folks. I'm Greg Boyd, teacher on here now and then. Uh, this is the series that we're in here, Mixed Signals. Looking at the diversity of voices around us and how do we respond to that. Before I get into that, uh, I want to give a little shout out to my friend Jeremy who did such a great job last week. Isn't that guy a gift? A tremendous gift for God. I love that guy. And uh, it allowed me to go down and, and, and speak to this church in Tennessee. Actually, it was more than just a church. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, just a kind of a way of kind of keeping in contact with this, what we've called a revolution that's going on around the globe. Uh, it's really beautiful. And I'm here to tell you this morning... Uh, you, you Yankees, there is, there is hope in the Bible Belt, all right? There is. Um, it was a beautiful church, and uh, the thing that was most interesting about this weekend is that I had, that I knew of, or there may have, may have been more, but eight different groups of people came from five different states to be a part of this one-day thing. Um, and they're all folks, and one guy, in fact, was uh, this drummer in a band, and he had a gig in Southern Carolina, uh, the night before, drove eight hours overnight to be a part of this thing on, on Sunday morning, and then had to drive back because he had a gig that night. Uh, that's dedication. But see, what's happening here is these folks get a vision of the Jesus-looking God who's raising up a Jesus-looking pe- people to build a Jesus-looking kingdom. And when they really get that, and how unique that is, and how beautiful that is, and how different it is from kind of the standard face of Christianity out there, it ruins them from really being fully involved in your normal Bible Belt churches. And so they're, they're on their own. These little groups are just kind of forming on their own. And there's this sort of oasis. But they're looking for a tribe. They're looking for contact. Um, and, and they're willing to travel quite a ways to, to find it. And most of these folks just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for the podcast and for the lifeline that you're supplying us and for ruining us and, and things like that. It was so humbling and honoring and beautiful to be a part of that. Just know that you're part of something that's way bigger than this right here. It, it's, it, it's going on. It's just all over the place. And I... I, I just love pouring into it and being a part of it. Amen. Yes. Praise God. It's good stuff. We love you, Padrishners. You are part of us. So uh, the series is called Mixed Signals. Now, everyone knows, it's common knowledge, it's like obvious, that Woodland Hills is, a, is an exceptionally intelligent church, as churches go, which maybe isn't saying that much, but still. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we, we'd, you know, IQ level is pretty high around here. And uh, so we like to reflect that in our intellectual acumen by giving our, our, ti- our sermon titles a little bit of sophistication now and then. Uh, and in that light, we're entitling this message, Don't Be a Butthead. Right? <laughs> uh, yes, that's no question here what this sermon is about. Don't be a butthead. Uh, I could quit right now, actually. Go home and just chew on that. Pray about that, okay? Uh, rebuke the spirit of buttheadism. Uh, you'll see, I'll add a little bit more to it as we go along here, but that's uh, the title. Now, I, I want to give two, look at two passages here uh, that uh, will become important later on. First is John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice the, the, the definite article in front of each of those. The way, 
the truth, the life. He's not one of the ways, one of the truths, one of the lives. Sorry, Oprah. Uh, he claims to be the whole thing. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in a culture like ours, where it's a pluralistic culture, that just means there's a plurality of beliefs, plurality of cultures. If Jesus were to say that today, and he still is saying it today, it can come across as intolerant. Like, who do you think you are, Mr. Know-it-all, claiming to be the way? It's quite a claim to make. We'll talk later on in this series about whether that entails that all non-Christians are going to hell, which it doesn't. But um, right now, I just want to notice the singularity, the absoluteness of this claim. It's quite astounding. Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to the Father. And then later on, Jesus is talking to Pilate. And Jesus says, for this reason, I've come into the world and was born to testify, to witness to the truth. And everyone who's on the side of truth will listen to me. And Pilate, he's not only not convinced that Jesus is the truth, he doesn't quite know what truth is. He goes, what is truth? And I think he's being very sincere when he asks that. What is truth? And a lot of people today, in, the light of, in light of the pluralistic culture we're in, all the voices around us, the mixed signals that are going on, a lot of people are throwing their hands up in the air and saying, what is truth? How do you know it? What is truth? So we're going to look at how do you hold on to a, a truth, an absolute truth, in this sea of mixed signals. That's what this series is about. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity that I have to just uh, break open the ideas in your word to address the situation that we're in today. Uh, many folks are just finding things to be very confusing. Um, we all have to learn how to navigate this, this pluralistic world that we're in. I pray the Spirit you give us wisdom. Use this message, God, to shape us, to form us, to instruct us that we could be your ambassadors, bearing witness to you as the way, the truth, and the life in a world where it's just, everything seems ambiguous. Uh, Lord, I pray that maybe you'd help folks who are not yet sold out to, to, to you because of this confusion. Uh, bring a clarity that would bring them in on the kingdom. But I know my words can't do that. I, I just surrender it over to you and ask that you use it, Lord. For everyone in this congregation, for our parishioners, whoever, whoever listens to this message, I pray, Lord, you use it to tear down misunderstandings, to install new understandings, to make us gracious, effective witnesses to the truth in a world that is so confused. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's the thing. Um, the world has changed significantly in the last 100 years. In fact, significantly in the last 30 years. And it's changing at an alarming rate. It was the case up to about 100 years ago that you could, in fact, most people did live most of their life, at least most, most Christians lived most of their life and never had a deep encounter with somebody who had a faith that was radically different from their own, a worldview that was very, very different from their own. And see, it's, it's really easy to be confident that you hold the truth when you never bump up against somebody who sees it differently. It's easy. That world is gone. Uh, the revolution that took place with travel, I mean, before, people were basically segregating according to faith, ethnicity, and things like that. But that segregated world is gone. Uh, the revolution in travel has meant that people are, are, are going outside the borders of where they were born. Many people, an increasing number of people, live and die in places other than where they were born. The world is becoming much more cosmopolitan. Uh, the television and the cable news and other forms of social media, the Internet has just brought the diversity of the world, this incredible diversity of beliefs and perspectives that's out there. It's brought it into our living room. 
and into our neighborhoods, and we are now swimming in it. And that means that we are much more acutely aware of the different, different options that are out there, the different voices that are out there, than people in the past were. There's always been this kind of diversity of beliefs. It just wasn't on people's radar screen because you never bumped into it. You maybe knew about it, but you never, you never rubbed shoulders with it. But now you can't, unless you're a total recluse, you're going to bump up to, with people and meet people, engage with people, get to know people who see things very, very different from you. And see, that presents a challenge to our faith. How do you know you're right when everyone else disagrees with you? And how do you share this without coming across as someone who's very intolerant? It, it causes unique problems for the faith. Uh, my first encounter with this issue of pluralism happened in 1974. I was a new Christian, um, really on fire for God. I mean, I was on fire. And uh, I, I was part of this little group of Pentecostals that was convinced that we had the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and anyone who didn't agree with us was going to hell. And so I, I became this... Very sincere, but very obnoxious evangelist. Uh, just telling everybody about Jesus, my version of Jesus, whether they wanted to hear it or not. So in the course of doing that, I came across a guy who was a member of um, the Hare Krishna group. You remember that? You know what the Hare Krishna group? Uh, they were really big in the 70s. I don't hear about them at all now. But they used to like just flood airports, you know, and, and, and they always wore these robes and had bald heads. And So I came across this guy who was a member of this group. The most famous convert to the Krishna sect was uh, George Harrison of the Beatles. He wrote that song, those of you who are old enough to remember this, uh, uh, My Sweet Lord, remember that song? My Sweet Lord, I really want to see you, really want to be with you, really want to see you, Lord, but it takes so long, my Lord, hallelujah. And we all thought it was a Christian song when it first came out. Um, and so I wasn't supposed to listen to rock music, but I did, now and then. The devil would get me, and I'd go over to the rock station. And, uh, I, I, but I felt good, because I, I thought this was a, a Christian song. And I'd be like, oh, my sweet Lord. And then, oh, about a year later, someone, someone pointed out to me that that isn't about Jesus at all. It's about Krishna. Uh, and, and if you listen to the background singers, they start off by saying, hallelujah. But then, towards the end, listen carefully, and they start going, Krishna, Krishna, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu. Maharisha, or whatever it is. And they're just different names uh, for Krishna, I suppose. And I, I was, as this little Pentecostal guy, horrified that I've been worshiping Krishna all this time. <laughs> Cast the spirit of Krishna out of me. I think Krishna got a chuckle out of the whole thing. But uh, anyways, as I was saying, so th this guy, here's what, th what happened. I, I shared with him about Jesus. And uh, he goes, yes, yes. And he got real excited. Ah, yes, he is Lord. And he also took another form when his name was Krishna. Over here in the Bhagavad Gita, it's the same Lord. He has many faces, but the same Lord. I go, no, he doesn't. I go, yeah, 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 yeah. But Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, that's what Krishna says. And it's the same one. And I told him about my experiences with God, because I had some really good experiences with God and uh, powerful things. And he was like, yes, yes, yes. I've had the same kind of experience with Krishna. And he told me a couple stories about this. It's like, you're really frustrating me. I talked about the Bible being the word of God. He goes, yes, yes. But don't be near about this. So is the Bhagavad Gita. It's like, ah! Oh. But the thing that, that, that was a little confusing is this. This guy, he was really nice, um, really passionate, really sincere, seemed to be fulfilled in his beliefs, very happy with his beliefs, uh, had these experiences with Krishna, um, and he was so devoted. I mean, I was an obnoxious evangelist, but this young guy, he's about my age, 19, 20 maybe, um, he had committed his whole life to living hand-to-mouth on the streets, 
to have all his whole life spent telling people about Krishna. And that just blew me away. And see, my little group, if you didn't agree with our little doctrines, and we had a lot of little doctrines, you're going to hell. And so now I'm thinking, would God send this guy, who's so devout, so passionate, having these experiences, send him to hell? That, it just it, I, I, it created cognitive dissonance, and this is what pluralism does. I'm not supposed to. I, I thought all these people who weren't like us are evil and ugly and uh, backslidden and running from truth. But here they are, honest and sincere and godly and having these experiences. And it put a seed of doubt in my head. In fact, I started studying up on Krishna, started reading the Bhagavad Gita and learning about him and stuff. I'm so glad I didn't convert because I'd look really ugly with a shaved head and, and you got to wear a flower right there or a little dot. I don't want to in robes. So thank God I didn't convert. But I looked into it, you know, because I thought maybe the guy's onto something. Now, unless you're a total recluse, you've had some kind of experience like this. I bet, I bet you've experienced some cognitive dissonance. When folks who have very different perspectives disagree with your, your own. And what, what makes this series really important is that this is no longer an occasional thing. We swim in a sea of voices. It's captured by that wonderfully made little flick we just watched. A sea of voices, conflicting voices, making truth claims, radically different perspectives, um, disagreeing with one another. It's a world of mixed signals. And in a world where you have all these different truth claims, how do you know what is true? How do you hold on to what you believe is true uh, uh, but not come across as a butthead by looking dogmatic and intolerant? On the other hand, how how do you hold on to this truth in a tolerant way and not sink into relativism, which is just the belief that everyone has their own personal truth and that's as as good as it gets? And how how do you interact with these people? Uh, How do you respond effectively to a Muslim or to a person who's into Eastern mysticism uh, or or, or to uh, a a person who is... um, you know, atheist or what have you, we'll be looking at some of these particular views that are out there and how to respond to them. And then there's, you see, the thing is, this, the, the, it runs deep. This, this, the plurality of voices runs so deep. Consider this. Right now, there's roughly 32% of the planet identifies as Christian. And it doesn't mean that they follow Jesus. It just means that they're in regions that are, for the most part, Christian. Okay, 32%. And there's three major groups of Christians. There's the Catholics, the Protestants, and the Orthodox. But under each one of those groups, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of subdivisions. In fact, according to how you slice the pie, there's somewhere between 20 and 40,000 versions of Christianity. All of them slightly different. Think about that. The next most uh, popular religion is Islam. 23% of the world is Islam, Islamic or Muslim. And the two main groups there are the Sunni and the Shi'i. But under each one of those, there's numerous, numerous hundreds and thousands of subdivisions. And by the way, a little footnote here. Only a minuscule fraction of 1% identify with and engage in terrorism. Just just know that. It's a tiny fraction. Um, And so I say that because there's a growing sentiment in this country and over in Europe that paying Islam is all, all violent, inclined towards violence. Uh, and that is just completely not fair. It'd be like, it'd be like uh, saying that all Christians are racist because of the Aryan nation, which identifies as Christian. It's about the same percentage of people that are, identify as Aryan among all Christians as identify as terrorists among the Muslims. But you wouldn't like it if someone just branded you a, a racist because of what they did. And see, it's the same kind of thing. And maybe you're saying, well, wait a minute. I've been told that the Quran has got a lot of violence in it. Well, it's got some, but have you read the Old Testament lately? All right? 
<laughs> you don't want to be in that glass house throwing rocks, all right? All right, this is, this is, this is blessing. So we got 32% Christian, 23% uh, or 22% Islam. Uh, then 13% identifies Hindu, and there's thousands of variations of that. 6% identify as Buddhist, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of, of varieties of that. And then there's just a, bunch, a couple hundred, if not a couple thousand different religions that each identify and have maybe 1% or less of the population. So, for example, you've got, just to give you a little sampling, Chinese folk religion, you've got uh, uh, Sikhism and Judaism and the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, Scientology, Shamanism, you've got Confucianism, Shinto, Baha'i, Sufism, Taoism, uh, Paganism, uh, Atheism, Satanism, the New uh, Spiritism or the New Age Movement, you've, you've got Wicca and you've got the Hare Krishna group and the Urantia group, NFL football, it runs the gamut <laughs> all over the place. The most devoted, I think, are the NFL, and they probably have more than 1%. And the whole thing, the overarching religious sentiment it creates is not Confu- Confucianism, but Confusionism, because it's so confusing. And in, in this world of so many different options, how do you know? You can, can't study them all. And so how do we hold on to one truth? How do you know that you have the one truth? And how do you effectively share that with others? So far, frankly, Christians haven't done very good adopting to this new world situation. Uh, it seems to me that most Christians on the whole act as though the last hundred years hasn't taken place. Uh, this new cosmopolitan environment we're in, they haven't responded well. This is why, there's been a lot of studies on this, they come across, Christians tend to come across, evangelicals certainly come across, as intolerant, judgmental, dogmatistic, and, and just not very pleasant. We come across as buttheads. In fact, what's happened is that because so many are falling into relativism, uh, thinking that all beliefs, you know, all truth is personal. Because of that, um, uh, it's actually had the opposite effect where Christians are afraid of that, and so they become more dogmatic and more insistent that they have the truth, which comes across as being more buttheadish. Uh, one of the reasons why we find this, one person actually called it the disease of religious buttheadism, all right? Uh, is one of the causes of this has to do with the way people think about faith and the way they hold their faith. So that's what I want to talk about in the rest of this message. How people think about faith and how people hold their faith. It, 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 it makes buttheads out of some folks. So first of all, how, uh, what is the nature of the faith that people hold on to? I've shared this in the last year or two, but my sense of time is all screwed up. But sometime in the last decade, I'm sure I've shared this. Uh, and, and so I can go over it kind of quickly. Most folks today think that faith is as strong as you are free of doubt. A person who just never questions their, their beliefs, well, that person has such strong faith. So you, your faith is as strong as you are certain. Now, that leads to, or at least inclines people towards what we're calling religious buttheadism. Because see, here's the thing. If you believe that your faith is as strong as you are certain, and that doubt then is a bad thing, you're going to be trying to be certain about your, the rightness of your beliefs. You'll be trying to talk yourself into that. And if you're trying to talk yourself into the rightness of your beliefs, you have to be talking yourself into the wrongness of anyone who disagrees with you. In fact, if you're trying to convince yourself of the rightness of your beliefs, to be certain of that, you're really talking yourself into viewing your beliefs as being obviously true. You're obviously right. Because to the degree that your beliefs are not obvious and you acknowledge that, well... To that degree, there's room for doubt. And that's what you don't want. People could, could legitimately disagree with you. So you're talking yourself into seeing your beliefs as obviously true. The person who has obviously true beliefs. And if you think your beliefs are obviously true, 
Well, then anyone who disagrees with you, it's not because there's any ambiguity in the evidence, because it's obvious you're certain about this. The evidence is just right there if you'll just look at it. So if a person's disagreeing with you, well, it can only be because they really aren't, they really aren't interested in truth. Maybe they're running from the truth. Maybe they have moral sin in their life and they're you know, hiding from God. They, they don't really care about the truth. They say they do, but they don't. Or they're just stupid. Because anyone who, who, who's really caring about the truth and has an IQ of over 70, you look at the evidence and you'll agree with me because it's obvious I'm right. <laughs> you see? And now you're a butthead. Uh, this is the kind of thing that's going on on cable news all the time. Obviously, I just read this this morning. Uh, 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 in, in denying the pipeline up to Alaska, uh, President Obama is ensuring that America will never have independence in... in uh, um, uh, he wants to make sure that America never has independence in energy. Well, I don't know what you think about the Alaska thing, and I don't care, but I'm pretty sure Obama isn't trying to go out of his way to make sure that America doesn't become independent in terms of our energy. See, if it's obvious, if your view is obvious, then anyone who disagrees with you, well, they obviously don't care. Maybe they're anti-American. They're trying to destroy us. They're the devil. And now you're a butthead. <laughs> See, it's, so imagine having a conversation with me. Uh, if, if I have this view, that faith is, is uh, about being certain, and my views are obviously right, and we want to have a discussion, you want to talk to me about an issue that we disagree on, would that be a pleasant discussion? No. <laughs> no. I'm going into the discussion uh, with a commitment to remain certain that I'm right. And that my beliefs are obvious. Um, And so that means I'm not going into this this discussion with a genuine intention of hearing you. And of considering your view. And of validating your view if it's in fact valid. I'm not going to validate anything. Because I'm obviously right and you're wrong. We're not even having a real discussion because no communication is happening. Communication... By definition, communion. It means you, you're, you're sharing a, a meaning with each other. You share a meaning. And um, so you let me on the inside of your world, and I let you on the inside of mine, and we try to find common ground and note the differences. But if I'm going into the conversation to remain convinced that I'm obviously right and you're obviously wrong, I'm not letting you in on anything. To the degree that you disagree with me, I just think either you don't care about the truth or you're, or, or you're stupid. Uh, and, and, and so no communication is happening, and that is why Christians have this reputation of being buttheads in this world of pluralism and mixed signals. See, here's the thing. As I've shared before, the biblical concept of faith isn't about trying to remain certain that your beliefs are right. There's not one person in the Bible who does that. That's, that's a modern concept of faith. It's not the biblical concept. The biblical concept of faith isn't a psychological concept that is focused on the level of certainty between your ears. The biblical concept of faith is focused on the integrity of your commitment in the face of uncertainty. You commit to living a certain way. How certain you are or how much doubt you have is irrelevant as long as you're confident enough to commit to living in a certain way. A very, very different kind of concept of, uh, of faith here. So it's focused on the integrity of your commitment. See, and if you hold to the biblical model of faith, you don't need to become a butthead. You don't need to protect a level of certainty. You don't need to be afraid of doubt. If, if you embrace this, this, this biblical concept, you're able to be a human being who says, here's how I see it, how do you see it? without all the walls up, trying to protect this certainty. In fact, the truth is, folks, think about this. Being certain that you're right is hardly a virtue. Being cer- the people who go into public places 
and shout Allah Akbar and blow themselves up and take as many people with them. They do it because they're certain. They're certain they're going to heaven. And they're certain that they're right and that this is a just cause. But I think everyone, I hope everyone listening to this would say, no, that's not very virtuous. What would be virtuous is if they doubt a little bit, if they'd question a little bit, there's some critical introspection on, on their beliefs. That would really be helpful. There's nothing inherently virtuous about being certain. In fact, not only is it not virtuous, it's idolatry. Because, see, look at this. People are feeling okay with themselves, feeling good about themselves, feeling secure in their relationship with God. Why? Because they're certain they're right. So they're getting their life not from God. They're getting their life from the rightness of their beliefs. They're worshiping at the altar of their own rightness rather than at the altar of the one true God. That's called idolatry. Uh, Folks, if we embrace a biblical concept of faith, which is focused on the integrity of our commitment, we can be free from this idolatry. Uh, we, We don't need to get life from being right about things. No, we just commit to living a certain way. And now we're able, now we're able to engage in conversations with people without all the defenses, without getting mad, without getting angry. Now we're in a position where... We're okay learning from people, listening to people, validating things that are true about their, their belief system. Because we're just going to keep, we're committed to living this way. However much doubt or certainty we have is irrelevant as long as we stay committed to living in this direction. And if you do this, interact with people in this gracious way, you might just find that over time they start to open up to you. You invite them in to speak into your life, and then they start inviting you to speak into their life. Now you're having communication. In fact, I, I believe that in this, I think this is always true, but especially in a pluralistic culture like ours, the best strategy for doing evangelism, and we're all called to be evangelists in one degree or another, but the best strategy is the opposite of what is usually done. Usually when you think of evangelism, it's about go out there and tell them the truth. Tell them, speak to them, call on them to believe this way. Wonderful. And there's an element of truth there, but see... The best strategy for evangelism in a pluralistic culture, certainly, is um, to put listening a higher priority than talking. Listen. And make that a higher priority. And, and, and yes, humbly, humbly you know, take it in and validate whatever can be validated and affirm whatever can be affirmed. And, and see, that kind of graciousness and humility opens people up. And now you, you, we have to earn the right to say anything into anyone's life. We can't just come out and tell, listen to me. I have the whole truth. You have none of it. I will teach you. You listen. No, that's arrogant. That's buttheadish. Let's avoid buttheadism, okay? So uh, the first thing has to do with the nature of faith. Hold to a biblical concept of faith. Don't try to convince yourself of anything or act like your beliefs are obviously true. They're not obvious. Everything's ambiguous. Okay, let's just admit that out loud. Secondly, it has to do with how we hold on to our faith, how we embrace our faith. It makes a lot of difference whether we're going to be effective uh, billboards for Jesus in this world of mixed signals. Because biblical faith doesn't uh, require us to try to make ourselves certain that our beliefs are obviously true, because of that, we can speak about things, some of the things we believe, in graded ways. We don't have to think that everything we believe is obviously right. Rather, we, we can say things like, when it comes to this issue, I, I, I tend to think this. I'm inclined to think this. I lean in this direction. There's, there's kind of a humility there. You don't have to be certain of everything. Just admit that, yeah, I kind of. Um, it makes hearing folks and, and them receiving what you're saying a lot easier when you're not the 100% certain kind of person. That just communicates narrowness. Now, in that light, it's very important to remember. That's something I've, I've taught on 
some point ago, a year, 10, who knows, but I know I've said it before, that not all beliefs are created equal. There's some that are more important than others. And the ones that are more important, you want to be more grounded on, know why you believe those. The, the, the less important a belief is, eh, the easier it is to change, and so it's not as important. But they're not all equal. And see, I say that because one of the things that contributes to religious buttheadism today is that Christians tend to hold their beliefs as a package. Uh, in the thinking of a lot of people, maybe even most, to become a Christian means you join the club of all those who believe the obviously true things. And here's all the true things that you must believe. Right? To join us and be saved, uh, here's all the things you've got to believe. A lot, there's, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. And so it's not just enough in some circles to believe that Jesus is Lord. Uh, no, um, if you want to join this club, the church of all those who believe all the right things and do all the right behaviors, well then, you've got to believe not just that Jesus is Lord, but you need to agree with our view on inerrancy, and you need to believe in the literal Adam and Eve and the literal talking snake, and, and you need to hold to our eschatology and our ecclesiology and our view of baptism and the literal rapture and a little tribulation and a literal millennium, and, and you need to agree with our pneumatology and our soteriology and our bibliology and our angelology and our pneumatology and, and our, our gynecology and our Babylology and radiology and you name it, you got to agree with it or you're going to hell. <laughs> uh, see, there's a long list of things. And in this pluralistic environment that we're in, I say gynecology. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the, <laughs> shake it off, shake it off. Oh, yeah, yeah, shake it off. That was an ADD moment. Did you guys see that cop that, that, cop that does that thing in the car? Shake it. Oh, it's so funny. Video, cop does shake it off. It's, it's hilarious. Although, did you notice his hands are off the wheel half the time? It's like a great role model there. So, back, focus, focus. So we, here's the thing. Where was I? I was talking about, oh yes, the long list of things you had to believe. Now, we're in a culture, folks, this pluralistic culture, this world of mixed signals, where a lot of folks... Don't even think there is truth. Or if there is truth, it's all just personal. And here you come along and say, we're the club who have all the truth and nothing but the truth. That's a tall order. That's a hard sell. Really? You have all the true beliefs? Really? Um, and you know this, and you're certain of it. How? Because you've studied all the other ones? No, probably not. Because you've critically examined your own? No, because that would call into question our certainty. <laughs> uh, you just happen to know this. Lucky you. Lucky you. Inherited all in eighth grade. Never had to question it. Well, folks, this just is, is, this doesn't sell. It, it's, it doesn't sell because it is a silly concept. Uh, not all beliefs are created equal. Here's the thing. In the New Testament, you have a lot of teachings on stuff, right? A lot of teachings on different things, and they're all good. And you have a lot of different ethical instructions, and it's all good. But you find in the New Testament there is one belief that dwarfs everything else in significance. One belief that is the foundation of everything else. One belief that is the center around everything else rotates. One belief that weaves everything together. And that belief is the conviction that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, that he's the Lord of all, the King of kings, the Savior of the world, the true revelation of what God is like. That undergirds everything. Amen. Amen. And it's not... It's not that the other beliefs are unimportant, but this, this thing just dwarfs everything else in significance. So Paul, I mean, this is why Jesus said things like this in John 5. All of Scripture bears witness to me. Think about that. All of Scripture bears witness to me. Uh, uh, Luke 24, uh, it bears witness to his sufferings, he says. 
So if you're reading the Bible for some other reason than to have it point you to Jesus Christ on the cross, you're misreading the Bible. Its fundamental purpose, according to Jesus, is to point in that direction. He's the center of everything. So Paul could say in, in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I am committed, I have resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What a statement. They, they, that means that, and Paul could only say that, if somehow, when you, when you know Jesus Christ crucified, you already know all you need to know about everybody. And you know all you need to know about God, and you need all you need to know about yourself. In fact, Paul actually um, sometimes uses the, the, the phrase gospel and message of the cross interchangeably. He preaches the gospel. He preaches the message of the cross. Same thing. Because for Paul, the gospel was the cross. The cross was the gospel. The, the two are interchanged because all you really need to know about God and Jesus and yourself and others is found in the crucified Christ. All you need to know about God is right there. That God is the kind of God who would come down this infinite distance, go to the furthest extreme possible in order to redeem you. Um, and see, the love of God is revealed in that because the distance he crossed, the infinite distance he crossed, even becoming our sin and our condemnation, that distance, the infinitude of the distance reveals the infinite perfection of the love that he is. The unsurpassable distance he crossed, the unsurpassable price he paid for you, it reveals the unsurpassable beauty of the love that he is. So the cross reveals that God is a God who could not possibly, in all your wildest imaginations, be more beautiful than he is, more loving than he is, more gracious than he is, more compassionate than he is. It's all found right there in the cross. And we can tweak that and supplement it however we want, but this is the essence of everything. This reveals what God is exactly like down to his very essence, Hebrews 1.3. All you need to know about God is right found right there. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross. And once you get that done, you realize that all you need to know about yourself is found right there. Because it means that though you are a sinner who doesn't deserve it, God loves you like this. God was willing to pay an unsurpassable price for you. That means you have unsurpassable worth in his eyes. Uh, you, will, you could not have more worth to God than you have this very moment. And the proof of that is the cross. And that stands, I don't care what you've done or what you're doing or what you're involved in or what kind of sickness you have or what kind of people you've hurt or what kind of perversions you struggle with, it still holds true. It applies to you. And if you ever let that on the inside of your life, you'll start to change those things. You see, it means that right now you are loved with a love that could not be improved upon in all eternity because the God of perfect love has his face turned towards you. All you need to know about yourself is found right there on the cross. And that's your life, that's your worth, that's your identity right there. Amen. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And finally, it tells you everything you need to know about everybody else. You're in on the best secret of everyone's life. And that is that Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He died for the sins of the whole world, right? 1 John 2, 2. Every person you see, every person you see, whether the friend or foe, family or neighbor or stranger or terrorist on the television or the guy who robbed your house last night, every person was worth Jesus dying for. They have unsurpassable worth. And our job... 101, the most fundamental job of a kingdom person is to agree with God. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to agree with him on what he says. And he says they all have that much worth as demonstrated by the cross. And so our job, kingdom people, is just to collapse all of our judgments, all of the things we think we see in others, and to agree with God that that person and that person and that person, the guy who robbed your house and the people who are threatening our country, have unsurpassable worth. Um, and, and, and to affirm that maybe what they do is not, it, it doesn't reflect that worth, but a lot of what we do doesn't reflect that worth, but it doesn't change the worth. Praise God. And see, I encourage us to have this as the foundation for everything. The Jesus Christ crucified. Uh, not all beliefs are created equal, and none are as essential as this. In this world of mixed signals, all this ambiguity, all these voices, 
Don't put the whole package of things you believe up for grabs in, uh, in this Hang on to this one thing. We sing about it earlier. It's the cross that is our hope. The cross is our foundation. The cross is our rock. And make that your one source of life. Uh, Feed off of that, that your sense of well-being, your sense of having worth and significance and feeling secure and fully alive in this world is because of what God thinks about you as revealed on the cross. And see, if if the cross is our one source of life, that means we don't have to try to get life from all the other things we believe. The reason why people turn into religious buttheads when they debate various doctrines is because their identity is wrapped up in it. And if your identity is wrapped up in being right about the rapture or whatever, you're going to get mad if somebody challenges that. We'll always get mad protecting the God that we, that we worship, but we shouldn't be worshiping that God. If, if all of our life is in Christ, then, then, we, then we can hold on to our beliefs in a humble way. And we don't need to get mad and defensive if someone questions it or challenges it. Maybe they're right. You can listen to them. You can learn from folks. I, I could be wrong on everything I believe. My view of the future, my, the nature of God, the, the, not the character of God, that would screw me up, but, but the, the providence of God, uh, you know, the way he runs the world, you know, my interpretation of this verse or that verse or understanding of inspiration, whatever. Uh, but it, it, as long as I'm confident enough to base all my life on Jesus Christ crucified, my well-being is in place. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm good to go. Uh, I, I don't get any life from those things, which is why then you can talk about them in calm ways. I encourage us to hold on to our beliefs in, 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 a way, in, in a way that if you were proven wrong about everything but still remain confident enough in the cross, then it wouldn't detract from your worth at all. And if you were right about everything, it doesn't add to your worth at all because all your worth is found in the cross. And now you're free from idolatry. And now you can have interactions in this pluralistic world uh, and not get angry about it. Uh, hang on to the cross as the absolute source of life, the one thing that you, that, that you base everything on. Everything else is supposed to point to that. It's not that the beliefs are unimportant, but um, compared to the cross, they're dwarfed in significance, and their purpose there is to point to the cross. Everything's supposed to point to the cross. And so, so never put them on the same plane. In fact, I encourage folks in this way. Just try this on. But I'm right, okay? So just... just <laughs> Butthead. I wanted to model for you what a butthead was. It comes very easy for me. Here, here's the thing. Um, I encourage you not to lock horns with non-believers um, on any other issue other than Jesus Christ crucified. Who is Jesus? What did he come here for? That's the one that you want to be passionate about. But don't lock horns with people on other kinds of stuff. You can have friendly banter. Have friendly, kind, gentle banter with, with folks. Um, but, but I don't care how strong you believe in this political opinion. Why lock horns with a non-believer over your political opinion? Because who cares what their politics is? Who cares what they think about America? Who cares what their lifestyle is? Who cares how they spend their money? If the cross isn't revolved, it, it's, it's totally insignificant. Don't make obstacles for people coming to Christ. He's the only one that matters. And so let go of all the other stuff. Banter with him friendly in a nice way. Like, oh yeah, that's the point. Well, uh, what about this? Or what about that? But be nice about it. Have you ever find yourself starting to get triggered? Stop! Walk away! Say, have a nice day, and go away. Uh, And come back the next day and tell them about Jesus. I mean, keep it all centered on the cross. And please, if you're part of the Wilton Hills family, and even if you're not, Padre listeners, listen up, this applies to you too. I encourage kingdom people, never give the impression to folks that agreeing with you on all your particular theological beliefs or political beliefs or whatever is a precondition for getting on board with the kingdom. Uh, it, 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 no, don't, people don't need more hoops. 
In this world of complexity, keep it simple. It's about the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, all the way down. And so this is what brings a person in on the kingdom. Once they're in on the kingdom, we can have all sorts of lovely discussions and debates and disagreements and whatever. But don't make agreeing with you the precondition for getting in on it. Um, uh, that's just not why, That's not being a wise ambassador for Christ. One final thing, and that's this. The more important a belief is, the more important it is for you to be grounded on it. And I, so I encourage folks, if you're going to be grounded on anything, be grounded on why you believe in Jesus and the significance of the cross. Um, and I'm not saying try to talk yourself into certainty because that's silly. But I am saying to know why you've chosen to go down this path and commit your life to this course as opposed to all the other paths you could have gone down. Why choose Jesus? And even if you don't have an inherent rational need, people are different in this respect. Some of us are like compulsive, like, I, you know, I gotta think through everything, I gotta, you know, it's gotta make sense. Others, not so much. But even if you don't have the need to kind of be rationally grounded on why you believe this, maybe it's just the warm fuzzy that you get in your heart when you think about it, I don't care. But other people in this world are, in this pluralistic culture, other people will have that question. And it's a legitimate question. You could be, you could choose to believe in Muhammad, you could go Hare Krishna, you could go Taoism or Jainism or Zoroastrianism, all these different beliefs. Why choose this? Perfectly legit question. Necessary question, actually. I wish more people asked that. And, see, we are required to have some kind of answer to that. Peter says this in 1 Peter 3. He says, always be prepared to give an apologia. Uh, we, we get the word apologetics from it. Uh, it means a rational defense. Always be prepared to give a rational defense for the hope that you have within you. Why do you believe that you're, you'll be raised from the dead and that there's going to be a heaven and... And why aren't you cynical about this world like so many others are? What gives you this hope? Why do you put your hope in Jesus? Why, as you're just saying, is your hope on the cross? We need to be able to tell them something. Although I was raised this way. No, everyone was raised the way they were raised. What is it about this belief? that It doesn't mean you have to become a professional apologist. It just means to be able to have something that give a persuasive reason for them. Why should they choose this as opposed to everything else? Okay, a couple of little resources here. Um, Oh, we have out in the gathering area, and this kind of feels weird. I feel like I'm, I'm not trying to sell my books, but then again, no. Um, but uh, there's resources out in the gathering area. Um, uh, it lives from a skeptic. A lot of you know that book. Uh, God's used it to just bless people all around the world. It's been incredible uh, the way, way he's used it. Just, I, there are letters I had with my dad when he was an atheist, and, and I just kind of lay out for him where I was at at that point in life, sharing with him all the reasons why I am a believer. He thought I would surely lose my faith when I went to school and learned some things because he had this assumption that all Christians were, were idiots. Uh, and so he was surprised that I stayed a believer and I, I, got, I got a chance to tell him why and he ends up coming to the faith. You might want to check out that. Or Paul Eddy and I wrote the book Lord or Legend uh, and that just focuses on why I think Jesus, uh, the Gospels are, are historical rather than legendary. Now if you want the academic version of that, if you're tending more towards the egghead side, you like the research, uh, check out the Jesus Legend because we leave no stone unturned. We look at every theory that's out there that tries to argue that the Gospels are substantially legendary or entirely legendary. And I think we do a pretty adequate job, to my mind anyways, of uh, refuting that. Why well, believe in Jesus? Those will help. I wrote a book a long time ago um, in, the, in the 90s called Cynic Sage, Son of God, where I take on a liberal scholarship. It also was an egghead book. Uh, but I took on a liberal scholarship that tries to undermine the historicity of Jesus. Another resource to think about is, uh, we don't have it out here, but uh, Lee Strobel has a book called The Case for Christ. 
And uh, he just interviews different scholars as to why they have chosen to put their trust in Jesus as opposed to something else. You may want to check that out. There's also a really good radio program in, in the UK. Oh, what's it called now? I was just on it. Um, Unbeliever. Anyone know what I'm talking about in the UK? It's this unbeliever where this guy, he has atheists on, he talks to non-Christians. He, he illustrates what I'm talking about, how to engage with people in a gracious, loving way. And now I, feel like I can't remember what it was. Unbeliever. Unbelievable! Thank you! Unbelievable! You are unbelievable! Thank you. Unbelievable! Check it out. Uh, it's this great uh, radio program. All right, would you stand? Uh, I want to close in prayer that uh, we can be the kind of people who know how to navigate this, the, the rough waters of the pluralism we live in. I encourage us to be a people who have a faith that is not about seeking certainty, but it's grounded in commitment, and uh, that we embrace it in this kind of graded way knowing that Christ is the center of all things. I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here, and if you have any need here that could use prayer, please come up here and pray with these folks. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, start today. Come up here and, and talk to these folks, and they'll, they'll get you started on, on the walk with Christ. I encourage you to think about, if you have a Tuesday night's free, coming to the table discussions. You get to meet some people that way and, and go a little deeper with this topic. As we leave, Lord, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you seal this on our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be people who know how to hold passionately to the truth that we have, but to do it in a way that's loving and kind and gracious, non-defensive, so we don't come across as buttheads to the world around us. May you shine through us and be a light to people in darkness. In Jesus' name, and all of God's non-butthead people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.